Hey, my name is Phil, and this is my wife, Meredith, and we are the pastors here at Cornerstone Church. We're so glad that you have connected with us here today and that you're getting ready to listen to a message that we know is going to build a resilient faith in your life. Right now, in this moment and in our days ahead, let's continue declaring Jesus over every situation. Enjoy the message. Hey, this morning, I am looking forward to kicking us off. If you want to turn to the book of Matthew, we're going to start in the book of Matthew, chapter 2. And this is a portion of scripture in Matthew's narrative about Jesus' birth, about all of the things that happened around Jesus coming. And these first two verses of scripture that we are going to look at are actually a couple of verses that we are really going to sit in for the coming weeks as we lean into and walk towards our Christmas celebrations. There are many incredible ways to read scripture, and sometimes you want to read lots of scripture at a time, and sometimes you want to read chunks that keep you moving through, and sometimes you want to sit on one verse and wring that thing out for everything you can get from it. And over the coming weeks, we are going to look at Matthew 2, 1 and 2, and we are going to wring this scripture dry and get every bit we can get out of it. So Matthew 2, starting in verse 1, looking at verses 1 and 2, and it says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, and in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, and they said, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw a star when it rose, and have come to worship him." If you jump a few verses down to Matthew 2 and verse 9, just for today, it says, And then after listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy." If you'll scroll over to the book of Luke, I want to look at something that Luke has to say as well. Luke and Matthew both record for us the events around Jesus' birth, and they have similarities in them, and they also highlight unique aspects that the other one does not. So Luke, also in chapter 2, and starting in verse 8 this time, it says, And in the same region where the shepherds were out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night, And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, a Savior who is Christ the Lord, is born this day. We have this scene that's painted for us between the books of Matthew and the books of Luke, which is that an announcement is going forth and a proclamation is being made that Jesus the Savior has been born 
born, that something has happened and those who have come to worship him and those who have come to see him have made the announcement. We have the entire nativity set here. We have the angels in the sky and we have the magi coming to see the king and they all are coming to say, have you guys noticed something about nativity scenes? Have you seen these minimalist nativity scenes? Has anyone seen these? So there's this new thing out. This actually has not much to do with today's message, except for it's been annoying me, and I've been away for a while, so we haven't been able to talk about it. They have these new minimalist nativity scenes, and all they are is like little straight blocks that you arrange or like little circular balls that you arrange in different directions and then you put that on a mantle and that's supposed to, and it's like, it's supposed to be like sleek and aesthetic and minimalist and all. And if you have one, the Lord loves you. (laughs) But I can't get with it. Because when I look at the nativity scene, I need to see faces of those who came to see the Lord. I need to see animals in the corner. I need it to be a little bit cluttered and a little bit messy to remind me that when the Savior came, it wasn't quite as tidy as everyone hoped it might be. It wasn't quite as aesthetically pleasing as everyone wanted. It didn't fit neatly. It was like your grandma's nativity scene that took up the whole thing and had real hay hanging out the edge that you couldn't. It was a little bit messy. And here are the magi and here are the angels coming to announce that the savior of the world has come, that the one we have been waiting for is here, that Jesus has come and he has been born and he is no longer Jesus, the word who is only in heaven. He is Jesus in flesh and blood who has come and been born to us. And they come to make this announcement And they choose words to announce it. They could choose any words to say, we have come to tell you that the Savior has been born. And they could say that we have come to make an announcement that the promise has been kept. And they would be right. Because when Jesus was born, it was a reminder that God is a keeper of promises. That every word that he had spoken for generation to generation, all the way back to Genesis 3, when he told them, he said, one will come who will strike the head of the serpent. That that one has now finally come forth. That the words that he spoke through the prophet Isaiah, that one would be born, that came not through a marital union, but through the birth of a virgin that that one has finally come the birth of Jesus should remind us that God is a keeper of promises and they could have come to announce that hey the promise has been kept and that's the thing that we're here to announce and if you have promises that God has spoken in your life that you have not yet seen the fulfillment of I hope between now and December 25th you remember that Jesus is a reminder to us that God is is a keeper of promises, to hold on fast to every word he has ever spoken to you, to hold on fast to every word that has ever been declared over your life because the fact that you have not seen the promise yet doesn't mean that he is not yet fulfilling the promise. It means that you have not yet realized the fullness of what he has in store for your life. It's a reminder that God is a keeper of promises. 
And they could have come to announce that the keeper of promises has come. They could have come to announce his humble beginnings. Come and look how lowly he is, how meek and how mild. We came to announce that the humble king has been born. And this would also be true. Because Jesus was born without much pomp and circumstance. And he was born not to wealthy, aristocratic parents, but to a humble Mary and Joseph who nobody paid much mind to before this moment. He wasn't born in a special location. Rather, he was born in a borrowed barn that someone allowed them to use. And he was wrapped in the sheep's cloth that just happened to be around, reminding us that he came to be our eternal sacrifice. He came in humble beginnings, and they could have come to announce, come and see that the humble king has come to us. And they would have been right, but they didn't. They could have come to announce the holiness of who he is. We have a proclamation of the holiness of who God is, that the God who is altogether separate, that the God who is altogether distinct, that the God who is nothing like us, who has come to be like us, that the holiness and pureness of who he is, that when sin comes into his sphere, it is transformed and changed and falls away because darkness cannot exist where light is, that the holiness of who God is is only made more real and more true through the distinct nature of his birth, that there is nothing about him that is the same as everything all around. There is something distinctly different about who this baby is and who this birth is. Holy, 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 they cry out in heaven. And when the angels came, they could have come to say, holy, come and hear this holy proclamation that we have and they would have been right they could have come and said we have a proclamation of his love that love has come down that love has come to earth that love that moved him to move out of heaven and come to find you that love that moved him and sent him on purpose with a mission has come and has become the reality when they came to make their great announcement they could have said we have an announcement of love and any of these things would have been true and they would have been accurate. They would have been right. They would have made sense, but they chose something different. They said, come, there is an announcement of great joy. I have good news and it's of great Joy. When the Magi found him, they said, We are rejoicing with an exceedingly great joy that we have found the one who is the savior and the word that comes to mind is joy that there is joy coming up on the inside of me that there is joy to be announced for all people that there is joy available the word they use is the word shara that we translate into the word joy and it means an inner emotion that grows into an external experience it means that the feeling of joy 
is more than just something light and fleeting that I experience. It means that the thing of joy is more than just something that I bump into sometimes. It means that joy has an inward turning and an inward stirring on me that has to come out in the form of an expression that I can't hold joy on the inside. The angel said, I have a proclamation to make. I have a declaration that has to be said. They already knew. The angels could have kept it to themselves. They've been watching on the edge of heaven as Mary grew in size and as Joseph and Mary went on their journey and as they knocked on doors trying to find a room to sleep. The angels were already part of the show, but the joy that they felt couldn't be contained. They said, we have to come forth and tell somebody. And when we tell somebody, we have to tell the shepherds that I have an announcement of exceeding great joy for all people that a savior has been born. The Magi found him and they said, we are rejoicing with great joy. Joy is a funny thing. It's a tricky thing to define sometimes because it's this inward sensing, this inward knowing, It's this inward feeling that things are moving in the right direction. It's this inward feeling that I'm going to be okay. And it's this inward feeling that has to move into an external expression. Joy can't be contained on the inside of me. And joy can't be held on the... And we think about joy and we think of all of the reasons we might feel joy. We think of the gifts we receive and we think of the things that we want. But the thing about joy is that it tends to grow even when things aren't going my way. In fact, it tends to grow deepest and it tends to grow purest when things are going exactly opposite of the way that I want them to go. Joy is not the response to always positive news. And joy is not only the response to being served up a dessert. I can get excited about dessert. But that's not joy that comes from deep within, joy that goes all the way. In fact, joy has a way of being proven, of being tested, of being pressed, of coming out when things are opposite of how I would want them to be. When Paul wrote to the church in Corinth and he celebrated the church in Macedonia, he was bragging on the Macedonians to the church in Corinthians, I think creating a little bit of healthy competition for the Corinthians. And he said to them, listen to this about the Macedonians. In 2 Corinthians 8 and 2, he said, for in severe tests of affliction... Their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. In severe tests of affliction, when I picture joy, I picture things that make me feel good. I picture things like fields of flowers. I picture things like tables of desserts. I picture things like my favorite people gathered around me telling me how amazing I am. These are things that bring me joy. But Paul says to them, it was in their severe affliction that the abundance of their joy came up. Because there is a joy that is grown. Joy is 
to us a fruit of the Spirit, Paul tells us in Galatians. And that means that joy is grown in our life, in every season of our life. That joy comes up on the inside of us despite our situation and despite our circumstance. And it also tells us that joy is not just distributed to us in its fullness and in its perfect form like a gift, but that it is the responsibility of a believer to cultivate joy in our lives, that the people of God should be known by their joy, that the people of God should be seen by their joy, that the people of God should carry something on them that says even when the situation doesn't look like it and even when circumstances are unclear, there is a joy on the inside of me that in the midst of affliction, I still have joy because I have cultivated joy in my life, because I have poured good things into the well of joy in my life. So on good days, I can drink from that well, and on bad days, I can drink from that well, and I know how to find a joy that can never be taken away from me. So with our remaining time together today, I want to discuss how it is that we can cultivate joy in our lives. I believe that we cultivate joy through humility and humor. The interesting thing about these two words is that they share a common root word, that the central word in humility and in humor are the same. And I believe that's because in order to enjoy the joy of humor, we have to walk in a space and in a position of continual humility. We take ourselves too seriously. You're not really that cool, and you're not really that serious, and you're not, I know that you have so many degrees, but like it's not really, you know, I'm proud of you. But why do we take ourselves so seriously all of the time? There is something about joy that knows how to laugh at myself. There's something about joy that knows how to laugh at life situations. There's something about joy that knows how to laugh in the midst of every circumstance. There's something about joy that knows how to say, I don't have to be the biggest thing in the world. There's something about the people of God who know how to walk in a humility that says, I can plainly see who I am. I have made at peace with the fact that there are things that I am good at and there are things that I am not good at. I have made peace about the fact that sometimes I have funny ways of doing things. I have made peace with the fact that there are things about who I am that it is funny and there is humor to be found in life that we can tell a joke, that we can have fun with the people that we're with, that there is something about when we begin to cultivate. When the, Okay, they tell us that kids laugh between 300 and 400 times per day. They're just laughing like all day long. I don't even know what the math is on that. How many times an hour is that laughing, right? It's like 
40 times an hour or something like that. They are just laughing continually. By the time we become adults and we become so serious with ourselves and we've accomplished all of our things and we know so many things and we've had so many great experiences and we have people who we need to be respectable for and we have others who we need to look at us in a certain way and we have people who need to consider us and we have the way that we want to be seen and understood and when we do all of that and we whittle away, we have whittled ourselves down to about 15 to 20 laughs a day. 15 to 20? And my guess is half of those are LOLs in text messages back to somebody, which doesn't qualify. Because you were not laughing out loud. At best, you blew air through your nose. You know that laugh? There you go. There's one laugh for today. Come back. I'll be here all week. There is something about cultivating humility that puts us in a position where we can experience and participate in humor. The next thing that cultivates joy in our life is when we live a life of gratitude and generosity. Time and time again, the most joyful people I experience are also the most grateful They are those who look around and say, look how much I have, instead of looking around and saying, look at how much I'm still lacking. They are those who, in the midst, not always of abundance, sometimes in the midst of scarcity, can look around and say, but I still have this, and I still have that, and I still have this, and they cultivate gratitude. And I think if if joy is a fruit that grows in our life, then gratitude is like the water that we pour into the soil that allows it to grow. It keeps it continually in a state where it can harvest fresh fruit of joy in our life. I want you this week to write down three things that you're grateful for. Write down three things that I feel gratitude for and be specific with why you are grateful. Sometimes I think we blow over it so easily. We go around, you know, we just had Thanksgiving a few weeks ago, and many of us probably went around a table or a circle and said, what are we grateful for? Which is an amazing practice that we have. I love being part of a country that punctuates part of our year with gratitude. But sometimes we say things like, I'm grateful for family, which is true. But can you get specific with it? Can you dig down into that and say, I'm grateful for cousins that I talk to every day. I'm grateful for a partner that stands next to me. I'm grateful that I still have life in my lungs. I'm grateful that my feet work and that I can go dancing sometimes. I'm grateful that I have people around me that I see on a regular, can we get specific with our gratitude? Because the more of that gratitude we foster and we cultivate in our lives, the more we pour it in and the outworking of gratitude almost always turns into generosity. Because when I'm grateful for what I have, I'm not fearful about what I don't have. I don't have my eyes on the things that I don't have. I have my eyes instead on how much I already have. And we say, come and share of this plate with me. Come and let me give a little more to somebody else. We say, I can absolutely take an angel tree tag and make sure that someone else has what they need for this year because I am so grateful for what I've already had. We foster 
gratefulness and gratitude and generosity in our lives and it produces joy. In Acts, they remind us that Jesus said, in Acts 20 and 35, it says, in all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of our Lord Jesus. If you have a red letter Bible, this next part comes in red because it says, Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. There is more. That word blessed we've talked about before can often be translated as happiness. There is more happiness in giving to someone else than in receiving for yourself. There is more joy that builds in your life and letting go into someone else's life than in building for your own life. In gratitude and in generosity, we cultivate joy in our lives and through forgiveness and friendship. We cannot walk into joy while we carry the heaviness of unforgiveness. When I picture words in my mind, words have direction to me and they have images to me. And joy to me is like a balloon that is buoyant and that floats up above everything. And how can joy rise in your life when the shackle that is unforgiveness keeps weighing it down and keeps making it heavy? Some of you are like, I feel like I can't ever quite get into joy. I feel like I can't quite ever step into the next level of joy. I feel like I I come to it a little bit and then something yanks me back down to the ground. I encourage you and I urge you to search your heart and ask the Holy Spirit, am I holding on to unforgiveness? Because that unforgiveness will become a weight and a shackle and a heaviness to you. And the same Holy Spirit who reveals it to you will be the same Holy Spirit who helps heal that thing in you and says, let me help you let go of that in the same way that you have been forgiven. Let's release forgiveness unto somebody else. Let's open our lives and say, I don't have to hold on to this thing that tethers my life and your life together anymore. Yes, you probably were wrong. And yes, it should have never happened. But I will not live my existence tied together like this. Instead, I will split the cord and say, I'm releasing forgiveness in your direction. And friendship becomes the people that we do life with, the people that we journey alongside and the relationships that God knits us together with because friendships are really the thing that God has called us into to be united together and connected together, that he has never called us to experience this great life that he has for us alone or in loneliness or lingering or separated from creation. He says, when you come into a relationship with Jesus that puts you back in a right relationship with God, it also restores to you the relationships with the people who are around you. And the people who are around you will help build and cultivate in your life a life of joy. He says through forgiveness and through friendship, we are able to cultivate joy 
in our lives. And I think that all of these things begin to be the things when we say, I want to grow the fruit of joy in my life. Jesus, I want to be part of those who proclaim the news that you came and that it is an exceedingly great joy to declare that our Savior has come. And I want to be part of the people who walk around and say, I have good news that we then become those who cultivate in our lives and say, I want to live in humility and in humor. I want to live in gratitude and generosity. I want to live in forgiveness and in friendship. And I want to be a person of joy because joy is a marker of the life of a believer that in every season I have found a joy that will carry me. And I have found a joy that I can walk with. But I think there's one more thing that has to become the outworking of joy in our lives. And that is that people of joy are people of invitation. They are people who draw others in to this great thing that they have. They are people who bring someone else alongside. I am a great lover of reading books. I love reading. I read all of the time, almost constantly. And because I really like and enjoy and appreciate external forms of validation, what I do throughout my year is I stack up every book that I have finished that year so I can see all of my progress and look at what amazing books I have read throughout my year. And the most amazing thing has been happening this year which is over the last couple years, our oldest son has been learning how to read. And so he's been reading a little bit. And, you know, you're doing the thing and you're like reading with him at night. And he was fine and he was into it and he was doing fine with it. But this year, over the last couple of months, he's like really started getting into it. And he's really started like reading little books where now he wants to read them a lot. And then he found out that I have a stack of books that I like to stack up. And now he's like, Mom. I'm going to catch your stack. I'm reading more books than you're reading. He's like, Mom, I've been reading. Mom, I read three whole chapters, which has created another problem because now I'm like, how late were you up last night? Like, I told you you could read for 10 more minutes. But the joy that I already find in reading... When I have begun to be able to invite someone else into something that I love and something that has brought me joy, I don't know what brings joy to you in your life. And I don't know where the places are where you feel the good pleasure of God when you do it. But those are the things I promise you when you invite someone else into that space alongside you and you begin to see someone else experience what you experience when you participate in that activity, when you engage in that thing, it's something about sharing it. There's something about the invitation for someone else to be part of what's happening that multiplies the joy that we feel, that spreads the joy that we feel, that begins to allow joy to move not just in our own hearts and in our own lives, but throughout our community and throughout our city and throughout our family and throughout our church when we say, I've found something of exceeding great joy. Come on, don't you want to be part of it? When the angels came, they said, we found something of exceeding great joy. Come on, we want you to be part of this thing as well. And when the angels came, they came to announce what was happening in heaven and say, all of heaven is rejoicing. And we want you to be part of the rejoicing that's happening in heaven. And then the 
magi came along and they said, we've been following a star. And I know your nativity that we talked about has three of them, but most scholars agree that those three didn't just come with those three, that they brought a whole group with them because they said, we've seen something that we think is announcing something of great joy. So come on, let's all go together. All of us together are coming. And the joy that they experienced grew and the joy that they experienced was multiplied. I'm asking you this season, what brings you great joy? You have found great news. You have found that the Savior has come. You have found that the one that we have been longing for has been born. So who are you inviting to come into this space with you? Who are you inviting to come and celebrate the joy alongside of you? Who are you saying, come and sit with me? Come along to service with me. Let me tell you of the good news that I've found because we are a people who have found great joy. And so my invitation to you is to over the coming weeks and not get lost in all that we're doing and in all of our celebrating, but to be hunting for who we can invite to come into this great joy and wait and see how God multiplies and expands the joy that we have. Because my prayer for you is that every heaviness, every worry, every concern, every anxiety, every fear of the future, every disappointment of the past, would be broken off of your life, would fall to the side, would fail in comparison, would be nothing compared to the exceeding great joy of who he is, of the exceeding great joy that Jesus has come, of the exceeding great joy that the name of the one who we have been longing for, that Christ came down and is now flesh, that God himself came and became man, that the one who came to save us all is here now among us that Emmanuel God with us is here is there any greater joy to be found than the joy of the king is there any greater joy to be found than the joy of the savior is there any greater joy to invite someone else into than the joy of knowing that we can walk with him and we can know him and he has called us by day and so I declare over your life that joy is breaking out I declare over your life that you will not be held in bondage. I declare over your life that you will not be held in a weight of heaviness, but that humility is yours and that humor is yours and that gratitude is yours and that generosity is yours and that forgiveness is yours and that friendships are yours and that you have a spirit of invitation that multiplies the joy that you have found and multiplies the joy that we experience and invites someone else into the presence of our great God, all the people of God who have said, I have decided to pursue joy in my life. Lift up an amen. Clap your hands and say, God, we thank you.